0: In the last 50 years, the rates of cigarette smoking among American adults has fallen dramatically. Despite the success, as many as one in five continue to smoke. What else can we do? Welcome to a special series on healthcare policy. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist. Your host, and with me today is Dr. Stephen Schroeder. Dr. Schroeder is distinguished professor of health and healthcare at the Division of General Internal Medicine, part of the Department of Medicine, at UCSF, where he also heads the Smoking Cessation Leadership Center. He currently serves as chairman of the International Advisory Committee of the Ben-Gurion School of Medicine and is a member of the editorial board of the New England Journal of Medicine. Welcome to ReachMD.
1: Thanks. It's good to be with you.
0: Dr. Schroeder, now, I grew up in a family of smokers, so this is an issue near and dear to my heart. And I often say that my career as an addiction specialist began when I was six, when I first tried to get my parents to stop smoking. And, you know, ultimately they did, although I don't think it was so much due to my interventions. How have we as a whole been able to decrease the rates of smoking so dramatically over our lifetime?
1: Well, Leslie, my parents also were smokers, ah, they were trying to get them to smoke, and they both stopped. I think the major thing that's happened is that over our lifetimes, the science that showed just how devastating smoking is to health has become an irrefutable force. That in turn then has made it easier to have policy options like taxing cigarettes, like making rooms smoke-free. When added to that, the fact that exposure to secondhand smoke also puts you at risk for cancer, for lung disease, heart disease, strokes has meant that the now 80% of the population that doesn't smoke is mobilizing to keep itself from smoking someone else's cigarettes. Back in the old days, the people who made cigarettes would say, well, this is a free choice issue. Mm. You don't have to smoke, but for God's sakes, let smokers smoke. The answer now is I have a free choice not to inhale someone else's smoke. So I think all of that has been extremely powerful. It's one of the really bright spots in, in public health in our country.
0: Can we redirect all of this effort elsewhere since we've had so much success in decreasing smoking rates?
1: Well, I'm going to answer that in a two-part way. I'm going to first say that the glass is still partly empty. So we still have 440,000 annual deaths from smoking. It's still a tragedy. It's still by far the largest preventable source of deaths and of illness. So we should do better. Can we transmit that into other areas? I think we have in some areas. We've seen public health, I wouldn't say triumphs, but gains in drunk driving from new policies, in dental caries from the use of fluoride, in getting lead out of gasolines, and we've lowered rates of lead poisoning. So I think the message is that policies can be crafted to improve our population's health.
0: Who is it that is still smoking? That's a question I always wonder about. So 20% of adults are still smoking despite this huge effort. Who are we not reaching?
1: Okay, so there are several populations. One is it's more common to find smokers down south than up north.
0: And why is that?
1: Do we know? Part of it's culture. That's where the tobacco was grown. Part of it is poverty, because my second comment was, was going to be that in, in general, the poorer you are, the more likely you are to smoke, which was a switch from, say, two or three generations earlier when it was kind of a sophisticated thing to be a smoker. The other thing, which isn't as well known, but it's a real problem, is that smoking is so much more common among people with mental illness or who use substances like alcohol, people who have trouble with alcohol, or heroin, or other drugs. So those are the three major risk factors, living down south, being poor, having mental illness or substance abuse problems.
0: Again, the being poor issue is also interesting to me. It's a bit counterintuitive in that cigarettes now are so expensive that if you're poor, how can you devote that much money to this rotten habit?
1: Well, there's some people who've done studies to show that something like a quarter to a half of all the money that the homeless have is spent on cigarettes. Wow. And it's one of the arguments when people say, well, let's raise the price of cigarettes with state taxes so that we can generate more revenue for good things and so that we can really try to discourage people from smoking. The counter-argument is this is a very regressive tax that's going to fall disproportionately on poor. Now, certainly
0: in my practice, when I have a smoker, I think about two things, and I'm curious to see if you would agree with this, that from my review of the research, that female smokers who continue to smoke, um, I always look for depression, and my male smokers who continue to smoke, I do look for the other addictive sorts of behaviors like alcoholism
1: and whatnot. Do you think that's reasonable? I'm not sure that the gender splits so much that way, although there may be some trend in that direction. The other thing I thought you were going to say, Leslie, is that a lot of women smoke to keep their weight down. Yes, that too. And what happens is if you stop smoking, your weight's liable to go up. And some women aren't willing to pay that price.
0: Now, the other thing that's disturbing to me, my oldest son is now off at college, and it amazes me when I walk around the campus how many college students are smoking.
1: Yes, you'd think the best and the brightest wouldn't be doing that. But, you know, it's an act of being a rebel. And so many of today's kids, their parents don't smoke. So maybe some of them are going to say, well, I'm going to distinguish myself from mom and dad. I'm going to smoke. But even having said that, youth smoking is at a 28-year low.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Steven Schroeder. We are discussing healthcare policy as it relates to smoking. Now, Dr. Schroeder, in another group that I'm curious about, I wonder if anybody's looked at them, is physicians who smoke.
1: We lead the world there. Only about two to four percent of doctors now smoke. An incredible decrease. In some parts of the world, China, 50 percent, Spain and Portugal, 30 or 40 percent, Argentina, maybe 25 percent, but it's very, very low here. And nurses, you know, when I was in residency training, nurses had a very high smoking rate. They're down to 13 percent now. Pharmacists, dentists, maybe four or five percent. So if everybody smoked at the rate that uh, health workers did, the country would be a heck of a lot healthier.
0: But still, just the fact that two to four percent of physicians still smoke—that just amazes me. How can that be? Well,
1: it's a pretty small number, <laughs> but I guess those who still smoke much really like it—a great deal because they sure know what the science says about it.
0: Looking in your crystal ball here, what do you think we'll see in the future to try to further lower the overall rates of smoking?
1: Well, I think one of the nice things we've seen now is that we have new medicines that can help people stop smoking. One was out last year. Uh, There'll be others coming out. There's a trial now of nicotine vaccine. So that's going to be very, very critical. One of the big unknowns is, are we going to make any progress against people with mental illness who smoke? And the the mental health treatment community is just now starting to take that on. I don't know if you've heard much on that, but it's sort of been a silent epidemic. And we're just now finding out that mental health clinicians are saying, okay, better take this on now. People with serious mental illness die 25 years earlier than the rest of the population. A big chunk of that is is from smoking.
0: Yeah, I agree. And if you look at those of us that work in mental health full time, we've been very reluctant that, you know, in in thinking about the list of problems that people are struggling with, hallucinations and, you know, mania and things like that, that smoking seemed not as important in the moment to deal with. It's kind of like somebody who's presenting with an acute MI that may not be the exact best time to talk to them about their smoking, but there never seemed to be a good time so that we really have ignored the whole issue of smoking and I'd say obesity as well among the mentally ill.
1: And it's been a part of the fabric of the culture. I mean, in in psychiatric hospitals, you give rewards with smoke breaks, you barter cigarettes for sexual favors. I mean, it's just an awful lot in that. It's funny, there's this double standard because people with mental illness get statins for their lipids, they get insulin for their diabetes, and smoking is just as critical. And and yet that's been sort of a a hands-off issue.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that amazed me, you mentioned earlier that we do have a new medicine, of course, Varenicline, I believe is what you were referring to. Yes, that's right. And when Pfizer first launched Varenicline, which is called Chantix, is the trade name, they did not even call on psychiatrists. that They gave up on us from the beginning.
1: Well, it's a little more complicated than that. The first trials excluded people with mental illness. But my understanding, Leslie, is that there are now other trials that are testing how useful this, this is going to be in, in that population. So my counsel to you would be stay tuned.
0: Yeah, well, and, and we now do get samples and whatnot, just like regular physicians. So <laughs> Just
1: like regular doctors. <laughs> just
0: like real doctors do. <laughs> so any other things that are going on from a policy perspective, anything looking such like at college students or, or some of the other risk factors?
1: Well, one of the issues, of course, has been drinking and the tremendous amount of binge drinking on college campuses, one of the big gender changes is that now women are more likely to binge than they used to. And many of them drink to get unconscious, putting themselves in terrible peril on a whole variety of areas. That's something new. I'm told that on many college campuses, they don't give Friday classes because kids are drunk Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, binge drinking. So that's clearly an issue that would be very problematic to parents about to send their kids away to college. From
0: a policy perspective, anything else in your crystal ball that we may see in the future?
1: I think there's going to be continued tension between policy levers to improve better behavior, whether it's labeling food, whether it's making buildings smoke-free, and the counter-argument is that the government shouldn't be intruding into the lives of other people. And the compromise is liable to be to create incentives for healthier living while still tolerating people who don't want to go that way. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. We now do require motorcycle drivers to wear helmets.
0: But it seems like taking away something is worse than making them add something. (laughs)
1: That's (laughs) Well, I don't think we're ever going to ban a cigarette. I think it's going to stay legal. But the combination of the science and the various policy uh, augmentations that can keep people from starting smoking or get smokers to quit. I think that's going to add up to a continued decrease in the number of smokers here while the industry concentrates on expanding its market overseas.
0: Well, we've been discussing what work remains to be done in the war against smoking with Dr. Steven Schroeder. Thanks so much for being on the show. You're
1: very welcome. to be with you.
0: I'm Dr. Leslie Lund. You've been listening to our special series on health care policy on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.